Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared and host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss what metrics, KPIs, and benchmarks they use to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Benjamin Shapiro, founder and host of the MarTech podcast. Today, we'll be covering three main areas. One, why a podcast on MarTech is so successful. Two, what metrics matter most to marketing performance and how does MarTech impact the measurements of success? And three, what are the lessons learned from a podcast founder with over a million downloads? Ben, Please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Ray, first off, it's a pleasure to be your guest. Thank you for inviting me. I guess the context that I'll give everyone and you know the bio that I generally set out when I'm speaking is my story goes from working in business development and account management at eBay. That's really where my technology career started and I got a good grasp of internet marketing. I always wanted to get one of those really cool startup jobs. And that's what everybody, when I was in my mid-20s in the post-Facebook era, wanted to do was go be the next Mark Zuckerberg and really struggled initially to move from working for a large company to one of the more sort of scrappy, get-your-hands-dirty type startups. I just didn't have the experience. And so I ended up leaving eBay to start my own startup, which was a company called strumschool.com. It was a marketplace for students and teachers to connect, to learn, and teach how to play the guitar. And was kind of what I like to say was ahead of the technology curve, meaning that there wasn't really product market fit. Um, people just weren't ready to take online guitar lessons. And at some point, my girlfriend at the time said she was ready for a promotion to fiance. So I had to go get a paying job. And I ended up going back in house and was finally able to land one of those cool startup jobs that I wanted. Um, I ended up being the head of marketing for a couple early stage VC-backed startups. And after doing that for roughly five years, I started to realize that the work-life balance in those roles just weren't a fit for who I was at the time. I was married at that point. I had a child and I was working late nights for founders who were putting a ton of pressure on me, but I didn't have the comp and the equity to really make it worth the investment and energy. So I decided I was going to step away and I became a marketing consultant, helping growth stage companies do brand development and marketing strategy. And after a couple of years of being independent, I decided it was time to launch a content strategy to help boost my profile, hopefully find more consulting clients. And that was the MarTech podcast. And to my surprise, the MarTech podcast grew faster than I ever thought it would. That was an experiment that went totally wrong. And it ended up eating my consulting business. It became more valuable. And now it's, all I do is create podcast content for both the MarTech podcast and my other show, The Voices of Search podcast, which is about SEO and content marketing. Well, wow, from eBay to a MarTech podcast. Hey, Ben, how did you choose MarTech as your initial concept for the podcast? And did you even dream that it would be this successful? I'll answer the second question first. No, I had no idea 
when I launched the podcast that it would become the centerpiece of my career. I was happily running a consulting business and I was really just trying to meet new people. And in the same way, when you want to expand your business, you put together a content marketing strategy, you create a blog. I'm just not a great writer. So I created a podcast and the stars just kind of aligned. There wasn't a lot of either well-branded or positioned MarTech content at the time. About two and a half years ago, the podcast industry was hitting an inflection point. And so, you know, I was able to tap into my personal and professional network to build our seed audience. And I did some performance marketing to grow it from there. And the next thing I knew, we were in the five figure downloads per month within the first year and were seven or eight X times the size of that. So it's grown quickly and we figured out a sponsorship model and now it's what pays the bills. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about how do you measure the success of a podcast and what leads to that success. But before we jump there, Benjamin, let's talk about MarTech and the landscape of MarTech. As you know, you look at the chief marketer and there's over 8,000 different MarTech solutions today. How has the landscape of MarTech changed since you started to podcast beyond there's just so many players? Yeah, you know, I think there's a definitional question about what MarTech is. And my approach for the MarTech podcast and creating MarTech content is really to think about the technologies that marketers use to grow their business. And that's a pretty wide view. It's much larger than the 8,000 companies that are on the Scott Brinker MarTech 5000 list. Snapchat, Facebook, Google, right? Those are all technology companies that marketers use. I don't know if you would call them MarTech companies, but we talk about them in our content. So I think of MarTech being the way that marketers use technology to grow their business and hopefully drive growth, career success, everything that comes with it. That's really what the MarTech podcast is about. I think that the traditional definition of MarTech is more about marketing operations, which is how do I connect Marketo to Salesforce? How do I get my data to flow? And yes, that's an important part of the technology behind marketing. I just take a broader view. So I think of MarTech as kind of the next wave of marketing that combines the art, the science of the practice of marketing with the technology and the data obviously some of the privacy concerns as well. That's really what we wrap into our industry. So I think it's a different industry than traditional marketing, but I don't consider it to be just sort of purely marketing operations. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into it because you mentioned it's more than just the technology. It also includes the networks, the snaps, the Facebooks, the Googles of the world. Well, let me ask a question a little bit different. Do you believe that people who just focus on the platform and operations are missing the changing landscape of the networks themselves and how best to optimize marketing campaigns on those networks? Not necessarily. I don't think it's their job to think about that. I think that people with MarTech in their title generally have a technical background and they are building the plumbing of MarTech. So they need to understand the flow of data and they need to be able to implement technologies and weave them together to help hopefully expedite the buyer journey and drive revenue and growth. I think what's happening is that there is sort of at the C-level, the executive suites in the marketing offices, but there is 
more of a focus on the combination of technology and the branding and art, like I said before, the art and science of marketing. And I think that it's not just in the practice of marketing in the sense of figuring out your brand, doing your lead generation, driving site traffic and getting someone to your sales team if we're using a B2B example. I think it is also understanding the flow through the sales process. And honestly, we're seeing this change in titles where you're seeing chief marketers being fired or let go or repositioned. And you're seeing more CROs, which is the combination of marketing and sales. And so I think that there's a blending of those two channels. And I also think that is part of the influence of marketing and technology coming together is that we get this end-to-end data all the way from marketing to sales and customer success as well. Well, it's interesting. In fact, a couple of my previous guests on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast have been revenue operations expert, which is really looking at the end-to-end process from marketing to sales to customer success and looking at it from an outside-in perspective, looking at it from the customer buyer journey perspective. And we've created this new function called revenue operations. Do you think revenue operations in the B2B world is going to make marketing operations obsolete? I don't think it makes it obsolete. I think that marketing operations are subset of revenue operations. I think that revenue operations is a combination of three things. Marketing operations, the flow from marketing to sales, and then the flow of sales to customer success and retention. And so marketing as a practice, as an important function of business, you're not going to be able to run a business if you don't know how to market, if you don't know who your customers are, what you need to say to them, where you need to put your advertising, your content, and also to be able to now feed that data to the sales team so they understand the context of where their leads are coming from. To me, I think of that as like the revenue operations. I just think that revenue is a umbrella for marketing to sales, to customer success, all those sort of teams being joined together or the underlying systems that help manage the transition from each stage in the customer journey. That to me is what revenue operations means. And marketing is kind of the top and sometimes the middle of that funnel. It's interesting. I hosted John Miller last week in our podcast, and John is the co-founder of both Marketo, one of the first famous marketing automation platform companies, and most recently Engageo, which was acquired by Demandtech. And one of the things he said was, The metrics that now matter to a head of marketing are not the vanity metrics such as leads, website visitors, even conversion rates. It's revenue and it's pipeline generated. So let's dig right into a great use case, Benjamin, of a company or a guest that you've had that has one of the most innovative uses of MarTech that's resulted in significant revenue growth. Any come to mind? The truth is I don't get a lot of visibility into the revenue generation of the sponsors or the people that are guests on the podcast. Sometimes they talk about it, but I don't really get the dirt on, hey, what was the MarTech stack and really what did the metrics look like? Because I'm interviewing people for an hour to an hour and a half. What I can talk to you about is the impact of marketing and MarTech on the business that I've built, which also gets into some of the podcast metrics. And I could tell you that you mentioned, hey, there's the leading indicator of traffic. That's not necessarily leads, might not even necessarily be the indicator that marketers are thinking about. They're going through the entire process. And to me, when we talk about building a MarTech stack, it goes into what the principles of marketing are, which is you need to understand who your customers are. You need to understand what their needs are, 
where you can get the right information to them and to be able to track whether they are converting or where they are in their buyer's journey so you can continue to send the right information to them. I think of podcast as a medium where people think of it as a marketing medium where it's just, hey, we're going to have sponsor ads. You know, you're going to have host read advertising in your podcast. And that's, you know, you're going to get a number of impressions. That's the only data you can get. And in reality, if you apply MarTech tools and some of the principles that are happening in modern marketing, you can get this really rich, robust data. That's what I've focused on for the last year and a half is moving beyond just the I got an IP address so I can tell you how many downloads we drove into, hey, we're generating retargetable profiles of people that listen to a specific piece of content. So then we can understand if they got to your website and now we can track them through the entire buyer journey. So to me, I think you know the best example that I know of or that I can think of that I've worked on where people are doing something interesting, building a MarTech stack and trying to understand how that data flows and, and inevitably gets down to revenue. Well, let's dig into that because one of the things I wanted to have you share with our listening audience today is what are the metrics that you use to measure the success of your MarTech podcast? And what are some of the MarTech tools or the stack that you recommend aspiring podcasters to use? Yeah, I think that the industry at large thinks of podcast as a marketing channel through advertising. And you might listen to Serial or Joe Rogan or the other Ben Shapiro, who we won't speak of much on this podcast. And, you know, you think of how many impressions they're driving. And then that's basically what you're counting are downloads. Now, a download is not a listen and a listen is not a listener. So really what you're counting is the number of files you were able to get on various devices. And what the podcast industry is doing is selling inventory, essentially like we do with display media, but a cost per thousand. In this case, it's cost per thousand downloads instead of a cost per thousand impressions or, you know, ad loads. Now, to me, the problem with looking at that metric, A, there are bots that can download. You can get downloads that are just crap traffic, like if I was trying to drive traffic to a website, I could go onto Taboola or Outbrain and get by a two cent click. It doesn't mean that that is a valuable potential customer that's getting to the website. It's somebody in an area that you don't care about that doesn't speak the language that you want them to getting to your website. And great, you can buy that for really cheap. With podcasting, what really matters is the number of listeners. And did those listeners get to the end consumer's website or traffic? What's a conversion rate in terms of something that you can retarget? And then the third piece that people really haven't discovered is that you can actually retarget consumers that listen to your podcast content. And so that's a big part of our sponsorship program is, you know, with our sponsors, we have them come on the show, we create advertorial content for them. And then from that advertorial content, we get a list of a couple thousand what are called mobile app IDs, but we can basically collect these non-PII identifiers, right? random code that we can upload into Facebook or programmatic channels and put something that the end consumer can then click to drive traffic to our sponsors. And so we have our advertorial content, we do host red advertising as well because we want to keep our sponsors in front of our existing audience. But what really makes a difference and what really matters is when somebody engages with a piece of content, they're raising their hand, right? They're saying, okay, I'm interested in this subject matter. And that is essentially a, I am a top of funnel lead for the person that created this content. And so 
What we do is we then take the identifiers for the people that listen to our content and we put, you know, your direct response ads to try to drive them to our sponsor's website. And so my point is that through the use of some of the technologies that are now available, we're able to map IP address to mobile app IDs. We can put a pixel on a sponsor's site and we could say, hey, here's how many people that listen to your ads and your content got to your website. And then even if they don't, we're going to put some direct response ads in front of them and we're going to buy media that is a more clickable sort of standard type of way to get somebody to a web property and that will drive them to your site. So we have multiple different ways to not only get in front of an audience, understand who's engaged and then get them to get into your buying funnel, get them into the flow. And that's how I think about putting together our MarTech stack and really getting into the value of the data that we're going to collect from what most people think is a channel that's just a brand advertising channel. Yeah, because a lot of people are talking about the podcast is a new blog. Instead of writing a 2,000, 3,000 word blog, do a 15, 20 minute podcast and maybe have one to two minute clips. But let's give the listening audience who are aspiring podcasters a how-to. How do you actually go from IP to capturing mobile app ID? Is there a particular technology you use for that? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You know, it depends who your host is. So most people use Libsyn as their host because it's been around forever and it's relatively inexpensive. I use Art19 for my host. I love Art19. If you're going to try to serve advertising and you want to be able to swap out the ad units, Art19, love them. So we use that platform and Art19 has a process where they can feed data. The platform we use is called PodSites. But most hosts, you can get the IP addresses in a data dump. And then there's a couple different places that you can go that resolve IP addresses to mobile app IDs. Just off the top of my head, LiveRamp can probably do it. I use a programmatic ad buying tool called Choosel, where you can create a list of IPs and drop them into their platform and start serving ads to them. You know, there's a couple different ways to resolve IP addresses into mobile app IDs. We use PodSites, great platform. And it gives you the analytics to be able to track your campaigns. And also you can download some of those retargetable assets as well. And for podcasters who aren't doing this for their company to really build brand awareness and content, as you mentioned, but are looking to drive traffic to monetize that, are there any metrics that you would say you need to have this many unique downloads, this many unique listeners, this many unique mobile IDs? What are those milestones to say you can start monetizing at this level, Benjamin? Yeah, I had the advice that you can make more than beer money from a podcast when you get to five figures of downloads. That's a monthly figure. So when you get to 10,000 downloads per month, that's when I think you could start thinking about monetization. It depends on your niche, right? 10,000 downloads a month, which is probably two to 3,000 people that are actually listening to your podcast. If you're selling access to two to 3,000 executive level marketers, that's a lot different than I'm selling access to two to 3,000 people who are interested in sports or the real housewives or you know something that's a little bit more mass media. So probably depends on who you're targeting, how many downloads you actually need. And if you have a wider net that you're casting, it's probably easier to get downloads as well. But generally, you know, I think of monetization being something that comes along when you're in the five figures per month. And for us, I think it took in month 11, we got past the 10,000 download figure and we started to think about monetization. 
Well, to me, as I've been doing a podcast three months, 10,000 downloads in a month still seems like that's a huge goal. What can you recommend to those new podcasters who've only done a few episodes? What is it about the content or the approach to get to that 10,000 downloads or two to 3,000 listeners per month? What do you recommend, Ben? I think that first off, think about who your audience is. And you need to target a wide enough audience that there is room for you to get a small portion of the market and be at some level of scale. If you're targeting B2B marketers who work in SaaS companies that are $5 billion in revenue or more, your total addressable market is... A thousand people. You're not going to get to 10,000 downloads from a thousand people. You need to be more broad, which is the reason why I created the MarTech podcast, because I thought that there was enough followers and interest in that specific topic. So first off, target the right audience. One of the things that we learned early on in producing the MarTech podcast was I started off with once a week, hour long interviews. And I realized looking at some of the data, I guess this is point number two, look at your data. We were looking at the Apple podcast consumption stats and we're seeing that, hey, people were consuming 30% of the interviews. Well, if they're consuming 30% of the interviews, why the heck am I recording the second 30 minutes? Nobody is listening to that. So what I already had interviews that were in the can, I already had them recorded. So what I did is I sent them back to my editor and said, can you just break these up into two interviews instead of one? I'll re-record an intro and an outro for the second interview. And now I have two pieces of content. Instead of it being 60 minutes long, I have two 30-minute pieces. And what I found was people were listening to 75% of the content now. So I decided to take a haircut on it again and produce content that was somewhere between 15 and 25 minutes. It ranges. The conversations kind of are what they are, but I try to keep it relatively short form. And now the average consumption rate is 85, 90%. And so people really do get through almost the entire episode, which is great for a couple of reasons. One, I'm producing more content. So I get more shots at the app store. I get more organic growth. Google is scraping the titles. I can create more pages on my website. There's more content to share. So I get a little bit more virality, right? And then with more content, you're building this larger archive. And so from an ad perspective, not only do I have more places to put ads, but also because the content is relatively short form, it's easier for people to get to and through the ads at the back half of the content. So if you're starting to think about monetization, it's really hard to get people to listen to the ad at the end of your podcast, your post-roll ad, if your content's three hours long. Joe Rogan can do it, but he's an exception, right? I can't do that. So you know, we made our content shorter because it's dense content because we wanted people to consume the entire thing because we wanted to increase our ad load and we wanted people to listen to the ad at the end because that's what drives revenue. Interesting. When you broke up that conversation into two sessions, could you actually track who listened to episode one and also came back and listened to the second half of that episode? Yes. And what type of percentage do you see people coming back for that second take at it? Oh man, that's a tough question. I don't know off the top of my head because I generally only look at the repeat listeners when I'm looking at sponsored content, which is a series of five pieces of content. So we just had a sponsor who got, I think it was like 5,400 downloads over five days, you know, a week after their content was published. So we were like, we got about a thousand downloads per episode each week. And this was only seven days after the episode was published. So that number will go up over time. But of those 5,000 downloads, there were 1,700 unique retargetable identifiers. 
Now, it's not a perfect one-to-one match of every listener. We can figure out how to retarget them. So in reality, of those five episodes, there was about 50% of the audience that listened to more than one episode. Very interesting. It sounds like you've really been able to dig into understanding the audience, and that has been a secret to your success. So as we wrap today up, would you say that's the most important thing is, number one, make sure you have a large addressable market for your podcast. Number two, make sure that you actually see the level of engagement and know who your listeners are at an individual level. Those are the two most important things, or am I missing something? I'd throw in a third one. Podcasting is a medium like all content marketing channels that takes time to cultivate an audience. And so people feel more comfortable thinking about blogs because it's a medium that has been around for a long time. If you set out to launch a blog, whether it's for your business, whether it's for your personal brand, whatever, you're not going to be internet famous from your first blog post. You need to publish a blog post multiple times per week for a year. And then you're going to start to see traffic, just like your SEO strategy starts small, builds on itself over time. And so the more consistent you can be and the more you can pump out high quality, engaging content, the more cracks you have at App Store optimization, the more SEO you're going to get, the more virality you get. So yeah, have an addressable market. Yes, pay attention to your data, get that signal that's coming to you to evaluate your content, but just keep going, put your head down, say, I'm going to do it for six months, say, I'm going to do it for a year. You know, it takes time to cultivate these channels. But once you build it, it's not like if you stop one day and you don't continue to publish that audience goes away, you build it and they become loyal and they stick around. So stick with it. It's a channel, it's a medium and a type of marketing that takes time to cultivate. Yeah. In fact, like most new marketing channels and digital channels, you start seeing a lot of whether it's your agencies or consultants coming out of the word work to help you. Has that been happening in the podcast world over the last one or two years? Or are there a lot of great service companies to help you build your podcast audience? I don't know. We built everything in-house. You know, we've used some technology and we've kind of figured it out. I know that there are companies that are out there that do podcast production. And I'm sure some are better than others. I'm sure that there are agencies that do it. My advice would be to not overinvest. The beauty of a podcast, you know, I'm one guy sitting in a rented office with a USB microphone and a laptop. The million download mark is nice to talk about, but in reality, this wasn't a glamorous project when I started. I just figured out and looked at the data and figured out where there was a signal and kept trying to amplify what was working. I did not have to spend $10,000 on gear. I spent 150 bucks on a USB mic. My software kit weaved together probably cost less than a thousand bucks a month. And that's to serve 200,000 ads and have all the data that we need to support our sponsors. So you could probably do it for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks a month. You can go hire an agency and they're going to charge you four to six grand, eight, 10 grand to produce a podcast. And the fidelity might be different than what you're able to do at home. But you know, if you're paying attention, you could figure out how to make a very popular, very successful and monetizable podcast without throwing the kitchen sink at it. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much for sharing your experience, sharing your advice for our audience. And thank you personally for being one of my sounding boards as we try to make the Metrics That Measure Up podcast even one-fifth as successful as your MarTech podcast. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Love what you're doing, Rick. Keep it up. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsquared.com.